We took a little pee pee break. A little bit. And the toilet was clogged with duties. And we almost flooded the place because we flushed the toilet. That it's was already a, clogged with duties. It's such an instinctive reaction. It's just reach <laughs> out and hit that lever. Well, we both did it. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you this, Rafiq. Yeah. What are you what you what you consuming these days? What you reading, what you watching? What am I reading? What am I watching? Fuck. Pick one. Um, so I've been watching Star Trek Lower Decks. Okay. Which is pretty good. A, You've talked about it. You've talked about it on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's still a good show. It hasn't stopped. I am getting a little exhausted with like one of the principal characters just because like the story arc for that character is starting to feel repetitive. They just did something in the last episode, which seems like they might change it up, which is, you know, kind of cool. But like functionally, she is the daughter of a Starfleet admiral, right, who has kind of, for the entire run of the show, been the uh, rebellious, I know what I'm doing kind of character, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's been, and it's been a lot of, like, her justifying or not or whatever. And the problem with this last episode, it's not really a problem, but one of the things that I do take issue with it going back and forth is in this last episode... They did a thing where it's like somebody's been talking behind the crew's back and making them look bad. Was it her? And then you get to the end of the episode and you're like, ah, oh, this is what really happened. But they kind of go, they try to make you feel bad for that character. And I go, no, I've got two entire seasons of her going around acting like a jackass. So it's really hard for you to do this and then be like, why would the crew believe she was going to be a jackass? And it's like, I don't know, maybe because there's 180 hours of content that shows mm. she's been a jackass. You know, Yeah, I don't like it when shows break their own rules. Or, or or suddenly characters are doing stuff that doesn't you know fit. It, it, Unless and, that's the idea. That's kind of the Saul the better call Saul thing where characters just make crazy decisions and you're just like, Okay, it, I guess they're doing that now. Yeah. It's not that it like her decisions in this past episode didn't fit her. It's just the idea of like it's that thing of throwing back on other characters in the show to go, why would they react like that? Hmm. You know, it's the thing of if you're if you have a character who is a serial killer, right? And then you have people. <laughs> Why would you accuse me of killing that person? Right? And then it's like because we know you're a serial killer. Well, I didn't kill that person, and it's like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare like, you make assumptions? Yeah, and it's like so. <laughs> you know. It's a but that said, you know, it's a good show. It's a, it's well written, the writing's great, the characters are all fun. Uh it's a very nerdy kind of show where like you do that thing of you go like, "Oh, is a new episode out?" and like you google it and then you just like read a comment and then it's j you just go, "Oh, no," because you're like halfway through the comment and you're like, "There are going to be so many angry nerds when I <laughs> scroll down." And then you scroll down and sure enough, there's an army of nerds just arguing with each other being like, "Well, this is really a reference to blah, blah, blah. and you're like, "Damn it, I don't I'm not going to read this. I'm going to be better." And then you go like, <laughs> "But I am a nerd, so I've got to kind of read this." So I'm this. definitely <laughs> going to read this. <laughs> Um, so doing that, uh, been reading Nightwing. Uh, I hear the current run is really good. It is a really lot of good. people are talking it up, you know, Tom Taylor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's really good. Uh, I, I appreciate not only the characterizations. One of the things I appreciate is like, they did a thing with Nightwing and Babs, uh, Barbara, um, I don't know why I said that as though you wouldn't know who I was talking yeah. about. <laughs> you mean Barbara Gordon, the Batgirl? Yes. <laughs> Nightwing, who is Dick Grayson? Yes. The, well, the original Robin and the original Batgirl. Yes. Um, they did a thing that I really like, which is a great parallel between Bruce and Selena's relationship. Because in that kind of context, there's always been the Batman, uh, can't have feelings, can't. Can't can't love this criminal. And then Nightwing was sort of like, we're all kind of fucking criminals, man. Yeah. I'll I'll love who I gotta love, right? 
which I think plays very well narratively in the concept of them going Nightwing is the improved version or the ideal version of who Batman wanted to become. Yeah. He is this character who brings, who is a vigilante who can bring terror and fear, but fundamentally brings hope, you know, and kind of a light to this experience. And especially with them doing like the dark crisis narrative that they've been doing, it works even better when you go like, oh, fantastic. The next iteration of the Justice League is not the Justice League. Oh, do you really believe that they're not coming back? Oh, no, no, no. I, I know they're coming back at that, some point. I was about what, to say, that's adorable. Yeah, no, <laughs> what I'm saying is that the in this current run, the idea of narratively going, we are not our fathers. There was a, uh, are you reading the book called Dark Crisis? Yes. There was that moment. John Kent, Superman's son, is trying to assemble a new Justice League. Black Adam puts him in his place and goes, this Justice League sucks. You suck. This isn't going to work. And as he's flying away, he says, we both know who should be starting a new Justice League. And then it cuts to a picture of Nightwing going, okay, everybody. Like he's, <laughs> right, yeah. he's instructing his students to do whatever they're doing. Um, so one of the things I like, and spoilers for anyone who hasn't been following this run, but the thing that I like is there is another moment with Black Adam going, the Justice League can't be run by children. Right. Well, right? And that's definitely in Dark Crisis. And, but the, the thing that I love is Nightwing's response is, we were never the Justice League. We are just Titans. Oh, yeah. To which I go... And they do this beautiful splash page of like all the new people. Mm. And I go, that is a great legacy moment for characters. And I know they're going to bring the Justice League back at some point, probably some point soon. <laughs> it's it's going to be real uh, soon. <laughs> but the thing that I love in those legacy moments is when characters go, this is my father's or this is my predecessor's thing, but that is not who I am. And the idea of Dick Grayson going, we are not the Justice League. Right, we are right. not the Justice League. We are the Titans. We have always been the Titans, and we will fight like Titans like do. Like the Titans, yeah, that's awesome. You know, I go, beautiful. <laughs> Give me more of that in comics. I completely agree with that because... Even that line of we should, we all know who should start a new Justice League, and then it cuts to Nightwing. Even that moment, there was a little nugget inside of me. It's like, yeah, but he shouldn't run the Justice League. He should run the fucking Titans. Right. <laughs> like, that's that's what it should be. Right. And it, you know, and one of the best things about this run is been the fact of like, there was the Justice League that vanished. And then the Titans kind of stepped up for a minute, like in a couple issues. And then they were struggling because they're going through this whole crisis moment. Right. And then the justice society of America steps up to be like, Hey man, we've been in your spot before. Yeah. 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 We're the generation before the justice league. So we're here to help. Oh, that's right? awesome. And then, it and that's all happening in the book called Nightwing. Uh, no. Oh, okay. So it, both of them are running kind of concurrently. Got it. So it, there's that they're doing that weird comic thing of like, this is these events are separated by six months, and you're like, it's fucking difficult to follow right. which event is actually happening. But okay, um, but they do all of that, and uh, you know the Justice Society steps up as kind of like this mentor thing. But when they step up. There's this kind of explicit understanding of like, we've been in your spot before the Justice League came after us and you are what will come after the Justice League, mm -hmm. you know, which I love. On the other side of that, uh, something that I have also been reading that I love is uh, in Marvel, they're doing a thing called Judgment Day, right? Where the idea is there's a celestial, do you know? Those are the big Kirby monsters. Yes. Okay. Right. There's a celestial on earth, 
passing judgment on everybody. And this is a fantastic apocalypse because there's kind of the implication of like, oh no, you're all going to die. Like there's no, we're going to fight and kind of escape. No, everybody is going to be judged. Right. Uh, Where the uh, celestial has been taking kind of this ethereal form for every individual person and character on earth kind of showing up as a person in their life that nobody else can see who's passing judgment. Okay. Right. So for Spider-Man, for example, right, He, you, they will take an issue where they follow him throughout his judgment day, and it's just basically the ghost of Gwen Stacy sitting behind him Finger in the air going thumbs up, thumbs down, mm-hmm. right? Do you pass judgment or not? And they're taking these issues in a fantastic way of like really diving deep into the core of what each character is. What happens if you get finger up? If you So if you pass judgment, right? Finger up. Hey, you pass judgment. We will allow you to go about your business, you have been judged worthy. Doesn't mean you ain't gonna die. Yeah, so who cares? You've, you've been passed worthy. Well, well, then what happens if you get a finger down? If you get finger down, you die now, essentially. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a sorting thing of, like, who is worthy, who is not in the Marvel universe, right? Okay. Um. And, and again, this is for everybody. So you're getting these very intense kind of like day of observations of characters because it's the question of who is your, who, first off, who is the person who's judging you, right? Spider-Man, he's being judged by his greatest love and his greatest failure mm-hmm. in comics, Gwen Stacy, right? Norman Osborn, who's trying to redeem himself, is also being judged by an ethereal Gwen Stacy. Mm, Interesting. Right? Aunt May is being judged by... Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben. Yeah. Right? And in her case... And when I say Uncle Ben, I don't mean Ben Parker. I mean the character from the rice box. (laughs) Right, yes. (laughs) For for some reason... stepped off. For some reason, the Celestial chose him. It was weird. Uh, But it's the moment where, for her, judgment is actually... And and again, this is one of the beautiful things about doing the Judgment Day books, is for her, it's actually a very comforting thing because there's this ghost of Ben Parker hanging around with her during her judgment. Right? So, you know, imagine, you know, and then you see both villains and heroes, because again, this is applying to everybody, right? Having to kind of deal with their greatest success and greatest failure in the same moment. And you get these really beautiful deep dives into like who a character is, you know, um, for example, in the case of the Fantastic Four, Right, he's being judged by a version of the progenitor, uh, the celestial, uh, and his conclusion is: your judgment doesn't matter to me. Reed Richard, your judgment doesn't matter to me because the only people who can judge me are my family, mm. because they are the people who I am always connected to. Okay. Yeah. Whereas you will flip over to a character like the rhino or um, or you'll flip over to Jean Grey and it's like the person who's judging you is the phoenix, mm-hmm. you know? And it's this intense understanding of like, oh, you are, and I'm not saying this is actually the thing for her, but it's like, oh, you are an intensely spiteful and hateful person underneath the surface, thus you fail, Okay. You know, and I think 
when you're talking about in comics as a whole, when you're talking about legacies going forward, I think it's a beautiful thing because in the Marvel version of this, you are having people judged while they are talking to their mentee. And you're having these intense conversations, especially in the cases of where like, this is the second or third generation mentee. Mm-hmm. Right. The Captain America is talking to Bucky and he's being judged by, you know, like the ethereal ghost of somebody. And then um, he's talking to Sam Wilson and it's the thing of like, your sins are your sins. They are not mine, but my sins have also passed kind of onto you. Mm. And this is how I am being judged because of my failures and my successes, which is, you know, parallel to kind of the experience with the Titans of like, Hey man, you're your own thing. You're your own beautiful, crazy thing. Go be the best version of you that you can. But Marvel is taking that in a much more, uh, you know, by comparison, a much more intense and character personal way, Mm. you know? So, but what are you reading Uh, or watching? I have started picking up comics again. Um, I am reading Dark Crisis. I don't know what the fuck's going on in it. Uh, I started reading Batman. There's just just the comic called Batman. And you have to clarify because DC publishes about 18 Batman books a month now. No exaggeration. Is it the black Batman? (laughs) No, no. You didn't listen. It's a comic book called Batman. (laughs) It's not called anything else. So it's about a guy named Bruce Wayne. Okay. Who who also goes by Batman. (laughs) Okay. But I I was confused because I didn't know if you're talking about the Batman, <laughs> right. which is a Lucia, uh, Jason Fox or whatever his name is. I don't is. know. But he's a black he, he's version a guy Batman. who's in New York, <laughs> apparently. I don't care. That is the most insane. We talked about this when, I, yeah. when that first happened, but that's the most insane thing of like, you already have Gotham City, which is proto New York. Yeah. Why do you have real New York? That's weird. <laughs> So I've been reading, uh, then there's World's Finest, which has been pretty cool. And that spun out to a book called Batman versus Robin, which I haven't started yet. Uh, I started reading. Is, it, is he fighting Dick Grayson, Damian Wayne, Damian. Jason? Um, I started reading the Blue and Gold comic, which is Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. I've Dude been, doesn't love those two. I've been waiting for that comic to be published since I was like 13. It's not very good. Oh, it's that's a it's shame. exceedingly mediocre. Um, and I'm only halfway through it. Maybe it'll turn around, but it's 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 exactly what I expected it to be. I went into it going, this isn't going to be. And I was like, ah, I was right. Um, I love, for me, I've always loved the fact of like Booster Gold on the surface is just this like dumb meathead kind of character. But I love when it's like, when you really get like underneath and get into like the temporal stuff about it is like, Oh no, he's a genius at time travel. Well, he's not even really like, a genius. He just gets tasked with it. Kind of. Yeah. yeah he, he's not. Yeah. He's always kind of flying by the seat of his pants. Well, that was the whole thing in the late two thousands was he was like secretly protecting the timeline. And right in public, he had to continue to pretend present himself as the dummy. And there was one issue where Batman kind of like went up to him. I was like, Hey, I've been paying attention. I, I know what you're up to. And I know you can't really tell anybody. So I just want you to know that I appreciate what you're doing. Right. And, and I just want you to know somebody's noticing it's me. Thanks a lot for protecting that timeline for us. You know, you know, and th- that's the thing that I love. Um, I've been rewatching Deadwood, which is fucking great. It's, I haven't seen it since it was pretty new. And the only reason I'm rewatching it is was I got my hands on the movie. Oh, yeah. And I didn't want to just sit and watch the movie for a show I haven't watched in, no, you know, no. 13 years or whatever. So uh, it is a weird show. And it is, I don't know what, I haven't really watched many new HBO things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how involved they are with their projects today. 
But Deadwood is such a testament to how HBO used to be hands off and just let a creator do what they think is right because it is so specific in terms of its it's it's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. If you if you're if you're into Shakespeare, you know that Shakespeare is very like action, 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 and then someone talks about their feelings. Action, 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 somebody has a monologue. Mm-hmm. That's Deadwood. It's literally people plotting and scheming, but then somewhere in the middle of the conversation, someone kind of changes the subject and you have to kind of keep up with what they're talking about. And then somebody in the room goes, hey, let's get back to that thing we were talking about. And then they go back to, there's been at least in season one, there were at least two Shakespearean, full on Shakespearean monologues. There was a guy who was cleaning someone else's blood stain, talking out loud about how his relationship with the other guy is really abusive and he's sick of cleaning up this guy's messes. And I'm going, well, this is just to be or not to be. Mm. There's another moment in season one. There's this preacher who's got like a brain tumor. He's losing his mind. And the doctor has a three-minute monologue where he's on his knees begging God, please take him. What good is his suffering? And then what you really find out is that the doctor has seen a lot of suffering in like the Civil War, I think. Mm -hmm. So he's angry at God over human suffering, Mm. period. But what was crazy about that monologue is that you kind of already knew that about him. Like you already knew he was a pretty compassionate guy. You already knew he had seen some shit that he doesn't really like talking about. So you're like, wow, that didn't advance the plot. And it really didn't tell me a whole lot about the character. It's almost like that was one of those Shakespeare monologues. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. I will say this about creator-driven content and HBO. I think HBO's current style of show interaction and creator-driven content should be described as Jim Henson-ish. Okay. Of they have their hand all the way up that oh, ass. Oh, really? Uh, really? I watched uh, the most recent HBO thing I saw. I, I, watched, I think it's called The Flight Attendant. I think that's what it's called. It's the real pretty girl from Big Bang Theory. Yes. Kuoko. Kaylee Kuko. Yeah. Um, Cuckoo? I don't care. Something. Season one was, I mean, I, season one kind of left me like, aghast like wow that was like it was deep and interesting and there were many many layers to it and Mm -hmm. it was way more than what you just saw on the screen like there was all these i mean it came from a novel and it felt like it came from a novel because it was there was just there was so much depth to it beyond just you know this woman who gets caught in this espionage Mm -hmm. season two was very clearly, oh, oh, we have to make Moetis. <laughs> right. So let's just try to repeat everything we did in season one, but it'll be really superficial and it won't have any of the depth of season. I didn't even finish season two. I got about halfway through and it got to the point where I was like predicting, oh, now so-and-so is going to show up. And sure enough, so-and-so walks on the screen. And I was like, okay, I'm good. To which I would go, I and again, I'm not super fluent with that show, but I would go, my understanding is season one was creator-driven. Probably, yeah. Season two was executive-driven. Or it was them going, okay, you got three months, write us a new season. Right. And him going, ah, ba ba ah, ba ah, ah, just, you know, <laughs> okay. Well, I remember when the gay guy was secretly part of the CIA, so so I'll do that again. I'll have him show up again. Remember him? Right. He's yeah. in the CIA. There's there's so much of that where, you know, especially when you look back on when you look on cre- like creator content in general, the argument I have always made is and this is wildly unpopular. So I understand why it's not done. Mm-hmm. Is I go studios just need to show up and go here's five million dollars here's a check for five million dollars get it done yeah 
Well, and it's also so dependent on the studio and so dependent on, you know, it's all the moving pieces. So I think a lot of, you know, some of the stuff is getting worse, but I think generally we can all agree that Kevin Feige has run the Marvel ship yeah. very well. I don't think it's argue. I don't think it's arguable that it has been unsuccessful, right? Whether or not the quality has dropped, that's case by case basis, you know. So in that regard, it's good to have a guy like that in charge who's steering the ship. Whereas you have the Warner Brother guys who want to be the steer the ship steerers. And they continually prove that they don't know what they're doing. Right. <laughs> and they continually prove that the movie they don't really care about and do, here's X amount of dollars, those are the ones that turn out really good. Have you noticed the quality drop between Wonder Woman and the second Wonder Woman? Right. And I here's would... why. Because they didn't believe in Wonder Woman. They didn't care. They threw money at some director and said, go do it. It became a success, and then they went, look what we did. And then they got involved with part two, and part two sucked. Right. And this goes in two directions. Kind of back to your point earlier today of, like, everyone's got to justify their job. Yeah. Every every studio executive is, like, one bad film away from being fired. Sure. And so I get why they go like, no, we, my name, movie, movie, my name, my name, movie, movie, right. movie, me, 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 me good, me, me, keep job, me, me, great executive. Well, yeah, look right. what I did. Wonder Woman, the movie they had hands off. Now they're got their chests out. Look what I did. I right. made the Wonder Woman movie. But the thing that I feel is different between Feige and Warner Brothers is Feige has kind of a general idea of like, this is the kind of thing we should make, right? And then he goes, I don't care about everything in between. Yeah, Here's just, a- just hit, hit these beats. Right here. Make sure your Thor movie does A, B, and C. Other than that, do whatever you want. Right, because that will fit into the rest of right. the picture. So here's a bag of money, get it done. And also, by the way, He's smart enough to go, you're a creative, smart person. You should be the one to... Hi, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> right. The guy who's done a lot of Shakespeare movies. Should you do a Thor movie? Because that's kind of Shakespearean. Yes, you should probably do a Thor movie. Right. You know, and it's... And I, you know, again, one can make the argument about quality drop. But I feel like there's a certain aspect to that of like... The quality is probably dropping on a case by case basis because they've had to make so many of them. <laughs> right. It's they got to a point where they did the fucking end game. Yeah. And then Disney went like, all right, but if we keep on tugging on these tits, are we gonna get more milk? <laughs> more and Foggy had to be like, I guess. <laughs> like it the end end game and Infinity War and all that is kind of what I've talked about on the podcast before of like just know when the story's done. Right. I go, there are certain times where you, and this is kind of what I feel like with Batman today, where I go, I want what I genuinely want is I want a 10 year period, a physical 10 year period where we just go, Batman's in the background. Well, you ba know, I mean, we've probably talked about this, but roundaboutly, that's, during Grant Morrison's run on Batman. That is where Grant... I'm going to keep saying he, by the way. I know Grant Morrison goes by they now, but I've been a fan of his for like 30-something years, and I can't change my brain. So I'm sorry for everyone that I'm being insensitive. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I am sure all of the Grant Morrison fans, they will yeah. <laughs> rise up and slay me. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, Grant Morrison's run... Uh, Morrison, you know, instead of a pronoun, I'll just keep saying Morrison. Morrison. Or if you guys really don't like Alan saying that, take to our Twitter. Just, uh, <laughs> just send all the hateful comments to, to Alan our, Dempsey. I was um, going to say to our actual oh, Twitter. Oh, yeah. To, so how about this? Number one. Uh, Morrison was very clearly creating a situation where um, Batman was going to be overseeing, Bruce Wayne was going to be overseeing 
this international group of Batmen. Right. And I don't know if the intention was to keep writing individual Bruce Wayne stories, but it definitely felt like Morrison was positioning Bruce Wayne to be this kind of king in a tower that swoops in occasionally, helps out, and then fucks off. And and that the entire idea, not just character, but the entire idea of Batman was going to shift into this kind of global army that was run by a guy named Bruce Wayne. But France has a Batman, and Japan has a Batman. Literally. I'm not making up countries. There was an issue about the French Batman. There was an issue about the Japanese Batman, you know? So, I mean, they still have Batman, Inc., but I kind of wish that what you're talking about actually had occurred of like, I don't want another Batman run. I love Batman stories, but I don't want another moment where I'm watching him tangle with killer Croc. Yeah. The the character's 80 years old. Right. Unless you, unless you have a really deep, deep, I'm talking about like deep human conversation about like monsterism in, you know, the real world. It's, it's almost like they already did that when they created the character the first time. Right. I go, unless you can bring me that story. I'm, and I'm not talking about like the editor goes like, yeah, this is all right. I go like, there needs to be an editor who reads a story about Keller Croc. That's so good that he breaks into tears and is like passing out copies on the street to random passerbys. If it's that good. When I was a kid, I read a couple Killer Croc stories that kind of made me weep. (laughs) So it's, it been done. Right. Well, this also goes into the golden handcuffs problem that I've talked about. I'm sure, which is, you know, there was a time during Batman's history that a guy named Alan Grant, like every few months, was just creating a new character. Here's a new bad guy called Anarchy. Here's a new bad guy called the Ventriloquist. Here's a new bad guy called so-and-so. So what happens is that becomes successful, seeps into the consciousness. Now they just want to keep telling Anarchy stories. They just want to keep telling Ventriloquist stories. Like, no, Alan Grant did that, and they were fucking great. Right. And it's hard to improve on what he did. What he did fucking ruled. So why don't, here's a thought, (laughs) instead of constantly trying to make the character more interesting, Batman lost his fortune. Batman got his fortune back. (laughs) Batman married Catwoman. Batman divorced Catwoman. Instead of doing that horse shit over and over and over and over, why not, here's a thought, make a new bad guy. Right. Here's a, what what do you know? Right. Give Batman something new to deal with. And I, I even in that moment, I go, because they're still trying to do that, but I go, if you want to do that, please do that in the background for a 10-year period and focus on Nightwing. Right. Give me, the, and we've talked about this off mic before, but I go like, you know what I would love to happen? I would love them to take the Bat family and break it into three different families. All right. You got the Wing family, which is just Nightwing. It's Nightwing. You give him a new apprentice. You give him a whole list of guys, right, uh, to fight. You make up a bunch of villains there. Batman is in the background. Nobody talks about Batman. Then you got the Hood family. Red Hood moves to the equivalent of Boston in the DC universe. We focus on him building his own family. Then you focus on the fucking Batwoman family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I go for a physical 10-year period. Long enough so a kid who is nine now hits 19. And then you just trot out an issue of this guy named Bruce Wayne who was Batman. And the kid goes... Oh, that's that that guy's been in the background. Yeah. Of all like when I when I was growing up reading the Hood family stories, he would always pop up into like Boston once a year and there'd be this big fight. Yeah. You know. What's there, going there, on? Who is that been, guy? There <laughs> have been occasional blips of that. Uh for a while Detective was about a team run by Batwoman. Batman was kind of the background real leader. But it was more like he was trying to condition them all to be a team. It was Batwoman, 
fucking Clayface. I can't remember the other characters now, but it was like a team of seven, eight people, something like that. And they were all, I think Black Lightning was in there. I might be making that up. I think I'm making that up. Anyway, yes, varying degrees of that have been done. Right. But company-wide in terms of like we're removing Batman from DC. Well, what I'm asking for is the commitment to that idea. <laughs> right. I Because I, again, I go, Wonder Woman is a great character. But at this point in time, I get it. What You're I right. Would, what I would like is a 10-year gap where we don't talk about Wonder Woman, we don't talk about Superman, but instead we go, well, what the fuck does Hippolyta do all day? Right. That is Hippolyta sitting on her golden throne well, just jerking off all day, also, or is she fighting gods? You're also like, talking about the greater problem of comics now, which is... The world you're describing is the DC universe of the 80s and the 90s. Meaning, yeah, you can read Batman every month, but you can also read a book called The Outsiders every month. And the, Batman was a background character in the book The Outsiders. You know what I mean? And that's just, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah. Comic publishers aren't comic publishers anymore. They're IP publishers. We have to have as many comics with the word Batman on the stands as we can possibly produce. Right. And I thought about this the other day. Growing up, as much of a DC guy as I am, it occurred to me, growing up, I was not reading The Flash. I was not reading Superman. I was not reading Wonder Woman. I was reading mostly... I was reading Batman, and I started reading Green Lantern at some point. But for the most part, I was reading the B and C characters. I was reading Suicide. Now Suicide Squad is is one of the A-list books because of the movies. When I was a kid, Suicide Squad was that weird one that didn't really fit in with the rest of the comics. You know, I was reading Suicide Squad. I was reading Animal Man. I was reading uh, when Giffen did that weird run on Legion of Superheroes. I was reading that. Mm -hmm. I was reading, I'm trying to think of other stuff I was reading. Like when it came to the main big guys, I would get that information from a book like Secret Origins. Right. Like I wasn't reading The Flash every month, but I was reading Secret Origins every month. And if you don't build a foundation like that, if you don't give people the option to read B and C list characters where even in their book they look up to Superman, you know what I mean? Like you have to have this it's got to be a pyramid. It's right. got to be a pyramid. If your entire bottom foundation is Batman, you fucked up. Batman should be at the very top of that pyramid. There should be two Batman books a month. At the bottom of that pyramid, you need Firestorm, and you need this new Naomi chick, and you need whoever, whoever, whoever. You I, know? I will say in the comic realm of comic books, that's one of the things I feel like Marvel has always done better than DC. Which, I just talked about DC. No, I under, I understand. I'm I'm not talking about during the 80s and 90s. I'm talking about right now. I'm because okay. Marvel will go. Hey, they, they. I mean, they have the same problem as DC in the modern context of like right. here's a thousand Spider Man. They're IP publishers, right? But Marvel does, in my opinion, a better job now of going like. All right, who's this dude who we've drawn like three times in the background of a Spider-Man comic book? And they go like, oh, uh, his name's Snake. Uh, he's a background guy that we've used as like kind of an informant for like the Red Rose, who's the guy Spider-Man's currently facing off against. And then somebody over on Marvel's editing staff goes like, great, give him a, give him a book. Give him a whole book. And then I don't see that happening. I'm I don't know where that's coming from because every time they, I look at the Marvel solicitations, it's all the big guns. It's X Men, Avengers, Venom, Spider Man, Thor. So they Captain will, America. So they do that, but again, the it's the whole thing of Miles Morales. It's the this was a character we created for the Ultimate Universe that some people liked. That they were like, "Fuck it, he's a Spider Man now," and now and. Fast forwarding another five years, 
there's literally like, hey man, here's Spider-Man. And in the whole collection of the Spider-Verse books that we have to, because I guess we have to print, you know, <laughs> a billion Spider-Man books. Why don't we just have Morales have his own run? Why don't we do a run on Silk since we have to do a Spider-Man yeah, I don't. Yeah. That is not the same thing I'm talking about because that's the same problem. That's literally the same problem DC has with Batman right now. They have a book called "I Am Batman," which stars Lucius Fox's son, but it mm. still says the word Batman on the cover. It still has a guy with pointy ears and a cape. So, I, what I'm talking about is the time when both Marvel and DC had a pyramid structure. Well, okay, so actually. Let me rephrase the pyramid structure. You should have your main characters supporting, so you should have them on the bottom. You should have Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Captain America. Those guys should be your bottom layer. But you should also continue to build up until you have a really odd, out-of-place out of book like Hitman Yeah, that just doesn't belong anywhere, or Starman, you yeah, know. To, to your point, I... I think the big hitters, let, let's say you have to produce a comic book every day of the month, right? Let, as unreasonable as that is, right? I go, your big hitters should come every Friday, for example, but every other day of that week yes. should be something else yes. that's completely different. 100%. And let me tell you how fucked up it is now. This is a direct example of how fucked up it is now. The main heroes in DC, and I'm pretty sure Marvel had the same structure at the time. Forget about the numbers. Don't worry about the price that I'm about to spit out. That's not my point. The main Superman, Flash, Batman, those were 75 cent comics. Then you had, and they were printed on cheaper paper, right? Then you had the dollar comics, which were also printed on cheaper paper, but they were a little more specialized. The dollar comics were Suicide Squad. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of another example. Then you had your buck 25 comics. Your buck 25 comics were, were printed on high quality paper. They were direct market. They didn't go to the newsstands. You know, then... Maybe you had a comic that was printed on really good paper and that was like the buck 50 comic. And it was like, that was like, whoa, this thing cost a buck fucking 50 or even like a buck 95. We have, the whole thing has fallen so far down the hole that all the comics, every goddamn one of them cost $4. Right. Four fucking dollars for one 20 something page comic. That doesn't even give you a full story. Yeah. Doesn't even give you a full story. When they were 75 cents, there was a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> so I'm not a businessman, but I can tell you what I see in that. We know that we're going to bulk print Superman, Batman, and The Flash. That's going to sustain this company. Then, because they sustain the company, we can roll the dice and release a weirder book like Animal Man that also ends up shockingly becoming a success. Holy shit, who's this Grant Morrison person? Let's give this person more things to write. Mm -hmm. Maybe they can make it even more successful. So what do they do? They put Grant Morrison on Doom Patrol. Guess what happened? Got real fucking successful, made them a lot of money. And did they change the price on Doom Patrol? No, they did not. That was still a buck 25 comic. Right, it, which... The issue there, at least for me, is I go, I want that. But again, that buck 25 comic needs to be worth a buck 25, have a beginning, middle, and right. end. And nowadays, it's companies, $4 and you got chapter one. Right. And everything, and every chapter is, it's the start of an IP. This is going to make us a gajillion dollars <laughs> right. to which I go, you are allowed to make bad art, man. It's fine. If you make fucking the spot, a uh, Spider-Man villain for the week, fine. 
It's not a great character. It's just kind of a weirdo, interdimensional, portal-ish kind of dude. But you know what's great? Is in 10 years, when you have the 90s Spider-Man cartoon... Right, and you make him a dude, a reference who becomes a major—not a major villain, but who becomes a villain in a couple episodes. Where you go, like, oh shit, that was a great thing, right? You know what I mean? And it's you got to—you cannot sustain a superhero universe on your four main characters. Right, that's not how it works. You have to have a slew of secondary comics to build the world so that one of them eventually catches on and becomes the next A-list character. Right. So that you can continue to shoot the dice all around and make all these other weird ideas, you know? I mean, I guess what we're really arguing for is cocaine. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Bring back cocaine. Bring back cocaine. (laughs) For comic book writers. Maybe acid. I I don't know. It's one of those two. Maybe both. Why not? <laughs> Let them party. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I get weird shit out of it. Yeah, right? That's, I mean, that's how we get curvy Oh, shit. and one more thing. <laughs> one more thing before I forget. Pick up a mainstream comic, Marvel or DC, flip through it. Every now and then you'll run across an ad. Every single ad is for another. If you're reading a DC book, the ad is for another DC book. Yeah. If you're reading a Marvel book, the ad is for another. It's almost as if. You could charge Frosted Flakes <laughs> some money to put a picture of Frosted Flakes on that page so I don't have to spend four fucking dollars per issue. It's almost like you could do that. Look, if we're, we're going to be very <laughs> honest about the business of it in like 30 seconds, 90s happened, comic books tanked because they... They did the thing every business does of they got too on their own shit about this stuff. And they're like, what if we print the X-Men book with 150 variant covers? Mm-hmm. That'll sell, right? And it did. And for a minute. Yeah. It sold and, when it sold. <laughs> right. right. And then people were like, the fuck are you doing? And then comic books, you know, had their troubles. And if we're going to be very real, it's like. The problem, and uh, the problem with every business, but especially now in the two thousands and later, is everybody goes. We need to make a kajillion dollars indefinitely. Yes. And so we I, have to publish eighteen Batman books. Right, and I go, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> right. The, the that ain't gonna happen. And if you really want to produce a kajillion things. You're going to have to deal with the fact of, like, some shit just sucks. Some comic books need to happen so you can have a terrible character. So in 20 years, when people come back around on comics and you have your Grant Morrison there to be like, hey, who's this character who fucking pukes up maggots? Right. And then they do something really interesting and fascinating with Maggot Man. Right. And then it's like... Holy shit, he's now an A-lister. Right. Right? And the prob- and this is the problem about companies, both in comic books and outside of comic books, is corporations as a whole have no responsibility to people or their communities. Their only responsibility is to their shareholders and their executives. And all those people care about is making a kajillion dollars indefinitely. So nobody is taking risks anymore. No one's giving a shit about anyone underneath them as long as they keep on making their kajillion dollars. And you can't convince me. It's been a while since I looked at the numbers. You can't convince me that DC is doing well publishing 18 books a month with Batman on the, on the title. Right. I just, I don't believe that. I don't see how that, I don't see how that's, that is, that is like a a sinking ship at that point. That's, Oh God, we got to bail this water out, (laughs) publish three more Batman books, but is it about Batman? Put it on the shelf. Right. To which I go, the solution is instead of making a hundred kajillion dollars <laughs> be satisfied with 99 kajillion dollars <laughs> right. and just go that extra kajillion's going to go into art that might be good, but probably not. 
and will raise up the entire, you know, your foundation analogy. What do, do you remember when movie studios just made movies? Right. Do you remember when um, they were like, I don't know, this Nightmare on Elm Street thing seems kind of cool. Right. Let's put it out and see if people like it. And now, 40 whatever years later, it's like, we don't have anything left. Let's make another Hellraiser. Let's make another Predator. Do you remember there used to be a time where there was no such thing as the Predator? Right. And someone just made a movie called Predator. Remember that? You yeah. remember when there was no such thing called Hellraiser? Remember there was no such thing called blah, 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 blah? So the thing that I found is that the that position has been taken over by streaming services because streaming services like Apple and, you know, whatever will go, hey, man, fucking make your movie about a guy rescuing a kid in Sri Lanka or wherever the fuck, India, uh, with Chris Helmsworth. He, he has a fucking billion dollars. Get it done. I don't know if this is going to win or not, but we got to get people on the service. Mm -hmm. And then they go and do it. And then people are like, holy shit, that's a great movie. Yeah, right? it's almost like, making movies <laughs> right and it, it's it's the thing of like studio i understand studios are always trying to minimize risks but i go the risk is what turns you from go ha, making a hundred million dollars that year to making a billion dollars because you are going to lose out a hundred million dollars for two years and then the next year you're going to make titanic right Exactly. You know. And that's the way, in my mind, that's the way it should work. We're a record label. We're putting out albums. Oh, this one band seems to be catching on. Well, now we can rely on them to be the foundation to support this record label so that now we can keep signing other bands and keep putting out records. And eventually one of those other guys will catch on. Right. Now we have two foundations. But that's not the way it works anymore. <laughs> now it's this band is catching on. Quick, sign a hundred people who sound just, just like, like them. them. Yeah. Yeah. And then well, we all jerk each other and off. And then we all jerk each other off. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of So How About This? If you liked that episode, please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, or leave a review. If you really liked us, tell a friend. If you hated us, tell somebody you also hate. Tell five people that you hate about us. Find your arch enemy and convince them to listen to our podcast because you hate us so much and you want to punish them for it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at So How About This One. That's the words So How About This, followed by the number one. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, just hit us up on Twitter and don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes.